Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Thanks, Virginia. Good morning, church. Christ is risen. It's good, isn't it? Never gets old. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your son, for the sacrifice, for his death and his resurrection. Thank you that we sit here today because of your son, Jesus, because your love flowed through him to the world that you loved so much, that you gave him. Thank you, Jesus, that you went in submission and obedience to the will of your Father, to our Father, that you went to the cross. But it didn't end at the cross. It continued through to your resurrection from the dead where you defeated death and sin once and for all. Come and have your way in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you have your Bibles there, open up to Mark chapter 16. As a church, we're working our way through the entire Gospel of Mark. Um, I'm sorry, it's not going to be on the screen. So if you do need a Bible, there's um, Bibles just behind the sound desk there. If you want to grab one or pinch one from your neighbour, or you can look at it through the YouVersion Bible app. We do have the scriptures loaded in there, so you can load that up. If not, but I'll read it out as we go through. So Mark chapter 16 uh, is where we are today. Uh, Looking at what happens after the resurrection. Now, some of us will know, some of us might not be aware of what's actually happening here in that. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. We're working our way through the shortest Gospel, Mark. And we've kind of skipped ahead to the end in order to celebrate and be a part of Easter. Now, Mark is the shortest one. Every Gospel tells a different version of what happens at Easter time. And some people think, well, doesn't that mean that they make it up? No, it doesn't. If, if my family went on an excursion, or if we, if we went on holidays, say we went on holidays a long time ago to Blue Mountains in 2019, back when we could travel. Now, if, we sat, if you sat down with all four of my kids, they were all a part of the same adventure, right? But they would all give you varying accounts on what actually happened based on their involvement, based on their interests, based on their level of enthusiasm, based on what they were paying attention to, and also perhaps who they were telling the story to. And so that's why we have differences in the four Gospels, because it's four different authors coming from different angles, telling the same story to different audiences. All right, So that's why we have some differences in what happens um, throughout the Gospels, particularly around the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, Let's read this through, Mark 16, uh, going from verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? That's a real good question. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. That's encouraging, isn't it? You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go. 
tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. I I love this. So, uh, Verse 5, it says that the women were alarmed because the stone's been rolled away and because uh, there's a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side of the tomb. And so they're quite alarmed, as you would be. You go to um, dress a body, uh, they would cover it in um, spices to stop the smell from kind of spreading out, um, and the body is not there, you would freak out. And then the young man says, don't be alarmed, which helps not at all, because we get to verse 8 and it says, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. And we can read it and go, oh, I would have been so excited. I would remember everything Jesus had said. I remember he said he was going to rise from the dead. I would be pumped. We have the, the gift of hindsight of 2,000 years. Most of us, I would hazard a guess, if we were there, probably would have responded much the same. And freaked out and ran away. Now, some of you, uh, in your Bibles, it might have a little section divider and it says something like the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have Mark 16 verses 9 to 20. Do you, do you have that? If you've got your Bible, can you see that there? Do you have something like that? Now, there's multiple endings to the Gospel of Mark. Most of the experts agree the original Mark Gospel finishes at Mark 8, at Mark 16 verse 8. All right, we'll get to that in a minute. But so most likely Mark, the original author of the Gospel of Mark, did not write verses 9 through 20. But they are so good, I'm going to read them anyway. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, and then we'll talk about why it's in there and what the difference is. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he'd driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them. Now, if you go and read Luke, the end of Luke, Luke chapter 24, maybe a bit later, um, there's the account of Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus with two people and he opens their eyes and teaches, shows them that it's, Um, that's him that's risen from the dead. So that's what that's referring to. Verse 14. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven, not the twelve, because Judas has killed himself, as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. This is actually my favourite bit of this chapter. Whoever believes and is baptised will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, He was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Now the reason that 
most of the um, experts say that's not Mark is because it doesn't actually sound like Mark at all. If you read the entirety of the Gospel of Mark in one sitting, you'll get to that section of Mark and go, it actually sounds like a different person wrote it, which is quite likely what happened. So that's why the earliest manuscripts that we have of Mark's Gospel don't contain it. Because what's probably happened is that somewhere along the line, a community of believers has read the Gospel from Mark, or a copy of it, and gone, ah, that needs to be finished off a little bit. That's missing something. So let's put in a few other details. Now, none of those details are wrong. You can actually cross-reference all of that, those verses, verses 9 through 20, with other Gospels and other um, instances from the book of Acts and find they're all historically likely. It's just that Mark didn't write that bit. And here's one of the reasons that we know that we come to the conclusion Mark didn't write it. All along we've been talking about the Gospel of Mark and we've talk, been talking about the fact Mark writes or tells a story at a real pace. Like you kind of feel like you're holding on the whole way through the Gospel of Mark. Um, and he likes to leave you wondering what's going to happen next. And so if you read it, if you don't have verses 9 through 20 and you read this is the end of the story as Mark tells it. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. It's like if you were watching this in a movie and you see the three women running away from the tomb and then it would be fade to black and you're like, wait a minute. So do they tell anybody? What, like, what, what, what happens next? It's like those movies that you do watch and it's left on a, on a cliffhanger. I was trying to think, of what would be an adequate description. Like if you watch the Titanic, who's watched the Titanic? Right, spoiler alert, the ship sinks. <laughs> if you watch the Titanic, you're not hanging on for the end going, oh, I wonder what's going to happen. Except I think she like throws a jewel or something in the water. Anyway, I'm probably spoiling it. Well, I'm already spoiled Easter for the kids and now I'm spoiling the movie. I'm sorry if you haven't, don't worry. If you haven't seen it, don't worry about it. Anyway, you know what happens at the end of Titanic. Right? It's not really a cliffhanger. If you watch mm, Inception, who's seen Inception? Less of us, all right. Just a few that aren't quite so saved. Um, I've seen it. It's all right. I'm sorry. That was a joke. That was a terrible joke. Sorry. It's a really good movie. It will bend your head. Look, if you get confused easily at movies, don't watch Inception. Because you'll be like, what? I'm lost. You will get lost real easily. It's about dreams and dreams and dreams. Error. If you watch the end of Inception, it leaves you hanging, like in, on purpose. It leaves you asking the question, well, is it in your dream or is it reality? Like intentionally. It's, it's beautifully done. That, that's the feeling you're meant to get when you hear or read the Gospel of Mark. You get there and you go, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. You're reading, okay, Jesus is alive. Jesus is not in the grave. I'm going to keep reading. I want to keep listening. Okay, okay, so there's a young man giving them instructions. He says to the women, go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And that's exactly what Mark wants us to do. Like, we're meant to hear it and be invited to consider our response. 
to what we do with the fact that Jesus is not in the grave. All the way along, Mark asks questions through Jesus, through the disciples, through other people that we meet in the gospel. And even right at the end, he leaves it on this cliffhanger. cliffhanger. What are we going to do with the fact that Jesus is not in the grave? Now, obviously, the fact that we are sitting here, that we are worshipping Jesus, the risen Saviour, that we share in communion, that we pray to our Father in heaven, means the story got out. We know the story got out somewhere, somehow. Somebody told somebody else that Jesus was alive. Jesus met with the disciples. But in this moment, hearing this story for the first time, journeying through the Gospel of Mark, we get to this and we're actually invited to consider our response to what we do with the risen Saviour. What will I do? What do you do? with the fact that Jesus is no longer in the grave. This is our invitation. This is what we are invited to be a part of. The women say nothing. What are we going to say? What are we going to do? With the fact that Jesus is no longer dead, but he is alive. And for what, for what purpose? What's the point of the fact that a man who was crucified, a horrible, horrific death, and I I love what Peter shared at communion, that you kind of feel the weight of Good Friday, that you feel like, pardon me, almost hopelessness, despair. Like, what's the point? And then we get to Sunday. We know the story, because we've gone over it and over it time again. But in the thick of it, can you imagine being alive before you know that Jesus has risen from the dead? And, and the trembling and the bewilderment and the fear and the wonder and the awe that you would experience when you discover that Jesus is no longer in the grave? Or as the disciples would find, as the disciples would happen for the disciples, is that they would have face-to-face encounter with Jesus who rose from the dead. How would you respond? How will you respond to the fact that Jesus is no longer dead, but he is risen? So why? What's the purpose? uh, Turn to Romans uh, chapter 3, which is to your right, if you're reading along. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. And Narelle opened by uh, repeating the verse that this opening song was based on. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever will believe in him will never perish but have everlasting life. I mean, this is the ultimate truth. This is why we... This is why we are who we are and this is why we do what we do because we believe in the one who gives us eternal life. Here's uh, Romans. Paul writes to the church in Rome, verse 21, and says, But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Here's the clincher. God presented him, that's Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God, through his son Jesus, God makes the atoning sacrifice for all, everyone that's gone before Jesus and everyone, including you and me, that comes after Jesus. That we no longer have to make sacrifices in order to be made into right relationship with our Father in heaven. That because of the atonement of Jesus Christ, because we are made at one with our Father in heaven, the price has been paid through his death and his resurrection. And if it was just that Jesus was crucified and stayed dead, that wouldn't have been enough because Jesus would have fallen Victim's not the right word, but fallen victim to death himself. He would have suffered death and not conquered death himself. But because Jesus, who was fully man and fully divine, rose from the dead, he conquered death once and for all and became the atoning sacrifice for you and for me and for all mankind who choose to receive the sacrifice, who choose to receive the ultimate payment for our sins. This is the gift that we have been given, the free gift. And maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a really long time. Maybe you've been a Christian. You've grown up in a Christian family. You know the Easter story and it's not unfamiliar to you. And you know what it's all about and you've heard it over and over again. And you know that Jesus has paid the debt once and for all. And that through him you have relationship with our Father in heaven. But maybe you're hearing this for the first time. Or maybe you've heard it a few times before but... You're hearing this and you're realizing that God's actually doing a work, God's done a work for you and he's doing a work through his Holy Spirit in you to actually bring, him, bring you into relationship with him. None of us could pay the price for ourselves or for anybody else for that matter to actually be made right with God. Only our Father in heaven could do that. It is his goodwill to bring us into relationship with him. Colossians chapter 1. This will be the last one I'll turn to. I've got others, but this will do. Uh, here we go. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior... It's a nice encouraging verse, isn't it? But now he, God, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. We are presented holy in God's sight because of the death of Jesus Christ. That, that's mind-blowing. Without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel... This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. I could keep reading. It's, just, it's, it's, it's all good news. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is good news to all mankind. 
The danger is that we lose the wonder of who God is and all that Jesus has done. Because we hear it, we've got it in our Bibles, we can read it anytime we like. We've seen the movie, bought the t-shirt, whatever it might be. And we just go through the motions. The danger is we become oblivious to the awe and wonder of the one who gave his life so that we could have life forever. Because the invitation, when we read through the gospel of Mark and we get to the end and we hear, we see that the women went away in trembling and bewilderment and told no one, the danger is that we actually respond in the same way. That we can actually, we can, we can come in here and we can celebrate the goodness of God and we can worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and we can once again dwell in the Easter story, but then we can walk out the doors and not actually share the good news with anybody else. And I'm like, this isn't a guilt trip, please hear me. Because I know that people do that. I just want us to be encouraged that we don't fall victim to that, that we don't become so familiar with who God is and what God has done that we think, well... Surely everybody knows. Well, I was leading, um, when I was studying at Theological College and we were at a part, a part of a church at Dandenong running a youth group there and it wasn't a big youth group but then we had some uh, new kids come along and then we were getting to Easter uh, and talking about Easter and one of the girls said, uh, what are you talking about? And so we said, well, we're Easter when you know, we celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's like, what do, you, what do you mean? And so we talked with her some more and discovered she knew nothing of the Easter story. And we kind of think, well, that would, wouldn't happen very often. Well, it does, because less and less people have grown up in Sunday school or the church or grown up with their parents or their grandparents that have been a part of the church and shared, shared the Easter story, shared the good news of Jesus Christ. So there's people growing up in teenage and adult years, getting to adult years, who do not know the good news of Jesus Christ, of his death and resurrection, of what the true Easter story is. I love, I love Easter eggs. I love all the Easter paraphernalia that you can get. Well, not all of it. I, I just love chocolate, let's be honest. <laughs> and hot cross buns. I love that. But that's not why I love Easter. Like, that's just entertainment. Not even that. If I celebrate the fact that I get egg-shaped chocolate and delicious hot cross buns more than I celebrate who Jesus is and what I have because of all that he's done, I've missed the point. If I share more Easter eggs than I do share the good news of Jesus Christ, I've missed the point. And I don't know if I'm like experiencing this kind of midlife crisis. I like to think I'm not in my midlife yet. I don't know. Stop it. I'm not. I'm going to get to 100 and I'm not 50 yet, so it's not midlife. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. But I feel the urgency of the hour that there are people that don't know how much Jesus loves them. And that's not up to anybody else or anyone, anything else except us. 
And it's not even just up to me or the leadership team or Simon or our website or our social media. It's up to us. My job is to remind you or to let you know, perhaps for the first time, that you are loved, that you are a child of God, that through his death and resurrection, that when you, say, that when you uh, confess with your mouth and you believe within your heart that Christ is Lord, that you are actually given the spirit of, uh, of adoption, that you are adopted into the family of God, that with Christ, that we are brothers and sisters in him, that we are sons and daughters of God, and that because of that, we don't actually need to run away in fear or trembling, that we can actually leave this building today and that with ever, everyone that we encounter throughout the week, we can say, do you know that Jesus loves you? And if they think we're weird, that's okay. People think I'm weird anyway, so I'm already, you know, just be weird anyway, and then when you tell them that Jesus loves them, you're already weird. So it won't matter. If we offer to pray with people, I know this happens. I just don't want us to lose the weight of it, I guess. The need for it. Like really practically, there's a couple of hundred in this room in a city of 15,000. And there's some other churches gathering today. There might be a thousand that gather in churches. That might be pushing it, if I'm being generous. That means there's 14,000 people not participating in a worship gathering. And like, it's not about necessarily being in church on a Sunday. I'm just saying we've got a really big mission field right outside our doorstep. A world, a city, a region that needs to know they are loved and that they have been bought for a price because Jesus paid the price through his death and resurrection on the cross. Yeah? This is what Jesus went to the cross for. This, God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son. Not, not God loved the church. God loved the world. And the church is meant to be about the business of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, inviting people to experience his love and his wonder, to know who he is. I want to finish it up with this. Backpedal, you don't have to go there. Mark 15. This might seem a little bit random, but you'll see why. Mark 15 is uh, when Jesus is going through the trial uh, the night before he's crucified and he's before the Sanhedrin and they're trying to find out trying to build up evidence for why they can actually kill him that's what they're trying to do Uh, and this trial goes against the law of the land for all sorts of reasons but they're doing this trial by night and trying to do it very quickly and Jesus doesn't say anything. Uh, this is, uh, sorry, Mark 14, verse 61. Uh, 60. Then the high priest stood up before them, the Sanhedrin, and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. 
Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ or the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus responds for the first time when he's at trial and says, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. See, all the, all the way, we've talked about it when we started doing the Gospel of Mark, all the way through Gospel of Mark is this idea of what the experts call the messianic secret. It's just fancy words for saying Jesus didn't want to let on the fact that he was the Messiah until the right time. So you would see him cast out demons and he would say to them, don't tell anybody, or he'd tell the demons to be quiet. Or he would heal people and he would say to people, don't tell anybody. Because it wasn't for him the right time for people to come into full awareness of who he was as the anointed one, as the Messiah. So he tells them, keep quiet. Keep quiet. He gets to the trial and he says, I am. Now where have we heard those words before? Moses, in a conversation with God at the burning bush. When Moses says to God, God, who shall I say sent me? And God responds with, I am that I am. And so we fast forward a couple of thousand years and we get to Jesus on trial before the Sanhedrin. And they say, who are you? And Jesus responds with the same words that God gave Moses and says, I am. And there the secret is out of the bag. Like that's enough for them. That's the blasphemy that they were looking for. And so they hang it on Jesus there and send him to be crucified, to be brutally tortured and beaten on his way to the crucifixion. It's because Jesus is the great I am. Because he is the Son of God, because he is fully God and fully human, that his death makes the atoning sacrifice, that pays the debt once and for all, that he conquers sin and death so that you and I and the entire world can have an everlasting relationship with our Father in heaven. This is the good news of Easter. Isn't that exciting? This is the news that we get to share with the world around us. This Easter, I want to remind you how much you are loved as a child of God. Because when we know how much we're loved by God, when we're safe in that knowledge, then we can actually love others from that love. And there is no striving. There's no trying. There's the love of God that flows through us, from us, to the world around us. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is why he came and gave his life. And this is why he rose from the dead to defeat death once and for all. Will you stand together with me, please? We're going, to, uh, we're going to do God So Loved. We're going to maybe close with the song that we started with. Um, but just as we sing this, if Holy Spirit, if the Spirit is um, prompting you, 
right now, if you feel a move from the Lord within you and you feel that you need to respond and say, yes, I want to know the love that God has for me. I want to know this Jesus that you're talking about. If you haven't said yes to Jesus and accepted him as Lord and Savior of your life, even if you've been coming to church your whole life and you've never actually made the declaration and said, yes, I want to say yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life and to receive all that he's paid for on the cross. Then just during this song, I know it's a little bit weird because we're all looking at each other, but that's okay. We're all in it together, okay? But if that's you, if you want to respond, I just want to invite you to come down. I'll be over here. Sing my heart out as well. So just come over here um, and then we can chat and we can go from there. All right? But I just want to invite you during this song, say, Lord, do you want me to respond? Do you want me to respond to the call that you have put on my life? And if that's you, then I invite you to come and we can share together and celebrate what Jesus has done in your life.